have people on. Okay, so uh, very exciting to have you on, Anita. It's been a long time coming for me, and um, I've been following you for a long time in the Bitcoin space. So I kind of wanted to give everybody a little bit of context. I think I had reached out to you. I want to say it was April last year, but I can't remember the exact date. Um, and I'd been working on Access Tribe for a while, and it was a slightly different concept. But I said I wanted to sort of make it a platform for women. And you had given me some advice, having been in the Bitcoin space for a long time. You're obviously somebody that's very well known in the Bitcoin space, particularly for the work that you've done in education and in the global south. So that's really like where you've kind of made your name or certainly where I knew you from. Um, and when I launched the Access Tribe member platform, we started doing this female founder program. The women asked me last week if I could do a book club. And we had this scheduled already as a podcast recording. So you very graciously have agreed to do this as an AMA so that people can actually ask you questions. So um, I was going to hand over to you to give an intro, but I was just going to say I would like to cover just some of your background, um, the book that you wrote, Learn Bitcoin. So I'd love to talk about that. And then you've also launched a member platform recently called Crack the Orange. So I'd love if we could cover what that offers and what it does. Um, to everybody on the call, if you've got any questions, drop them in the chat. And then about 15 minutes towards the end, we're gonna open it up for Q&A and I'll stop the recording so you can then just ask questions and you won't be on camera when this goes out on YouTube. Um, so I just wanted to let you know so you can feel comfortable at the Q&A at the end um, without being un involuntarily famous. So. Um, with that, I'm going to hand over to you, Anita, if you could just maybe embellish on, on my brief intro and just introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, Krista, for the invitation and uh, for being here today. Uh, yes, so I'm uh, a Bitcoin educator. I started in April 2017. That was the second time in my life I heard about Bitcoin. Um, and it was also the time I realized it, its potential, which, which I didn't in 2011. I just thought it's another PayPal. And since then, I have been focusing on Bitcoin education, especially in the context of um, sharing knowledge with people in the global south, because people there need Bitcoin actually more than we do. Um, and at the same time, I also I started with a podcast. I wrote a book about Bitcoin. And uh, my focus is on self-custody and privacy and human rights. And as such, as you say, yes, I'm, I'm, I made myself a little bit of a name. I hope so, at least. And now I also started a membership program for anyone who wants to learn about Bitcoin, which has a scholarship opportunity for people from the global south who want to uh, become Bitcoin educators in their own community. Uh, there, I have a scholarship uh, program that allows them to attend the course and my program for a year for free. And yeah, that, that's what I'm focusing on at the moment. So it's basically education in the global south and in uh, the aspect of uh, human rights and privacy. Amazing. You had a background. It was interesting because your background is in, uh, it says on your LinkedIn, at least media, web design and urban planning. So it's quite different to Bitcoin. Can you talk a little bit about how you actually discovered Bitcoin? So you've obviously said that you discovered it in 2011 and then again in 2017, kind of. Can you talk about that journey and, and how it struck you both of those occasions? Yeah, I think 
um, urban planning and web design in a way uh, leads to Bitcoin <laughs> when it's uh, mixed with um, personal um, my identity and my growing up. I mean, I was born as a lesbian and I was being discriminated by law from my country in Austria for the first 30, 35 years of my life. I didn't have the same rights. Um, and that, of course, um, changed the way I see things and made me open uh, to a money that's non-governmental and um, cannot be influenced or used as a tool to pressure people or to exclude them. So that's why my focus on financial uh, inclusion, not exclusion, um, I'm focusing on that aspect and also um, I learned a lot of lessons from my grandparents who very often told me about their experiences in the 1930s when the Nazis uh, took over power in Austria and what happened to their Jewish friends. And I think these kinds of things influenced me a lot. Also, in a sense that I'm, I'm a person from the experiences I had in growing up, I'm always uh, preparing for the worst. And here Bitcoin comes in handy also because it's basically something that no one can take away from me. So as soon as I have Bitcoin in self-custody, I know my seed words. Um, no one can take the money away from me. And it's also not uh, able to influence it. Mm, no, com it's not. It's, it's a common infrastructure, babe. It's a public infrastructure. And uh, there is no one, no company, no government uh, who can unilaterally influence it or a group of people. And that's, uh, and, and, and with urban planning, I mean also that comes into the spectrum because I mean, in urban planning, it's all about building a surrounding, a, yeah, a, a city, a place to live for a community where, where people can prosper and also have the same rights and chances. Um, and then combining that with my web development and online marketing and uh, building online platforms work from early on, like from 2000 on, um, I have a lot of experience and I also uh, learned in many e-commerce projects how complicated it is to uh, accept payments uh, on the internet from different countries. And there the aspect of a uncensorable money that is can be used globally without any friction and permissionless um, was basically, yeah, a, a, a winning tool uh, for me. And I realized uh, that these aspects make Bitcoin very unique and that it can have very positive uh, influence uh, on our society and on, on people, uh, individuals in general. Uh, that's really interesting because I wouldn't have thought that many people would consider that sort of in a Western country that's you know relatively wealthy like Austria that actually that that experience of discrimination would be such that that you would it would bring you to Bitcoin from that perspective. Can you talk a little bit about what form that took? Like you said, for sort of the first thirty five years of your life, what did that mean in practice? No, so we didn't have the same rights. I mean, gay people could not marry 
um, we could not inherit from our partners and things like that. I mean, there's also has been, of course, in the 70s, 80s, a lot of prejudice. I mean, no one, I didn't even know that the word lesbian exists until I was 19. Uh, so I didn't know that I, I can be me in that sense, yeah? Uh, so that's wow. how discrimination and it's still in, in on the countryside in Austria, it's still very conservative, very traditional. And uh, many people don't, uh, they are still in the closet in their 50s, 60s. Yeah. And I, I know people who are my age who never told their parents that they have uh, a gay partner. Like, um, and, and so, um, of course, that influences totally the view. Um, or it had influenced my view of the world and uh, um, my chances. And I mean, just imagine I'm living in, in Europe. Now I have legally the same rights, but uh, I work in countries like Zimbabwe or I will visit Uganda where you now have the death penalty um, um, on gay actions and people can basically tip you off with the police um, just because they think you might be a homosexual. Um, so these these are uh, yeah incrimination that's a basic human right yeah all people are being born equal but it's basically not happening and mm. uh, like for instance with bitcoin i could still like if i were to be in uganda born there or whatever i could still um, maintain financial uh, freedom in that sense mm. that I could receive money and send money without being uh, blocked from access from my bank, which is the first thing that happens. Like, for instance, in Zambia, I know a lesbian uh, activist. They um, arrested her and the first thing they did was basically cut off her bank account. Uh, so she lost all her, her money. And uh, with Bitcoin, that can't happen. And that's why I think it's so important. And that's why I um, knew that this is a tool that I'm interested in because it helps people um, or it could be me, you know, and it can tomorrow be me. And that's what I meant with the Nazis when they came. Uh, power changes happen all the time. And it could be that tomorrow uh, your opponent or your the political party that has other ideas that than you have, uh, that the power changes and, and you're the one who's being uh, arrested or, or things like that. So it ha happens very fast. And yeah, that, that brought me to Bitcoin, yeah. That's interesting, actually, because just to go back to the piece where you mentioned about not being able to inherit, I think that's actually really fascinating because it removes that legal facilitation of inheritance. It's just much more of a can you pass your private keys on to the person that you want to inherit? So I find that interesting. And your point actually as well about Austria still having some conservatism and then also, you know, the global south, many countries where it's illegal and they freeze your bank accounts. I mean, I'm in Canada. And we saw that happen as well. And I mean, nobody would have thought three years ago mm -hmm. that Canada would be a country that would be subject to something like that. So it's interesting your point about the fact that, that the power structures can change at a moment's notice, really. Mm, yeah, For I sure. mean, uh, you know, the, the background of the trucker protest, you might agree or you might not agree, but it's exactly what you said. From one day to the other, 
no one in Canada believed that uh, that this is possible. You know, we live in a democracy, and suddenly it was there. And um, going back to the point of inheritance, uh, I mean, just imagine um, there are still countries in the world where women are not allowed to inherit or to own property, or just look into Afghanistan, where the Taliban is basically uh, taking all the rights away uh, from women. And here, Bitcoin can also be a tool um, that enables um, women to still own money and to be financially free in that sense. Yeah. Can I ask you then what, what your journey was to start working in the Global South? So did you first sort of learn about Bitcoin and start becoming an educator and then focus on that area? Or what was the, why? I guess, what took you to those countries and, and how did you, how did that happen? Yeah, so yes, it had to do with Bitcoin. Yes, because before I was, I mean, my goal was always to be become some sort of a digital nomad one day or work in the warm south when it's winter in Austria. So that was always my idea, but only Bitcoin enabled me to do this because um, I, on, on the first, I mean, let's say it like that, um, the idea to do that came because I realized how important Bitcoin is for the global South and that it really can be a tool for billions of people who are excluded by the financial network at the moment because they don't have an ID that they can use Bitcoin because you don't need an ID. You don't need to register anywhere. You just can use it as if someone puts a banknote in your hand. You can also use it immediately. And um, so... I felt that the need to understand and use Bitcoin, it's much higher in poor countries or where people's uh, chances are restricted. I mean, 55% of the global population live in countries with uh, authoritarian rulers. And most of those countries are in Africa and in the global south. And for me, to be honest, um, it's not interesting for me to do Bitcoin education in that sense in Austria, Germany, or in the US, where people can afford to use Bitcoin. Um, and they, uh, not in the US so much, but, but in Europe, we have quite a good banking system. Um, we can use Apple Pay, whatever. In the US, they even have uh, drive-in ATMs and things like that. This is a thing uh, that's in the global south. I mean, it's a, you can't have that. You don't even have a bank account. Uh, bank accounts are expensive. Uh, banks are distrusted because um, they made a lot of uh, things where they basically stole from the people. In many countries, like in Zimbabwe, you have financial restrictions on uh, bank accounts. Like you can only send, let's say, $200 a month from your bank account to someone else. And so I felt the need for this education and the focus on the human rights perspective is very much needed and no one was doing it. So, um, I mean, it's only Alex yeah. Gladstein who was the one before me from the Human Rights Foundation who started all this, making this noise about how important Bitcoin is in that uh, space. And also, of course, Andreas Antonopoulos, who was my personal, I chose him as my teacher, basically, um, who always spoke about the fact that Bitcoin is much more needed and much more useful in, in countries with authoritarian leaders or in circumstances where you don't have financial freedom. 
And um, the human rights aspect basically for me proved the point of Bitcoin. So why Bitcoin? Why don't why don't you use US dollar? Why don't you use uh, Cardano uh, or other cryptocurrencies? You know, yeah, because Bitcoin is the only decentralized, really decentralized cryptocurrency where you don't have a founder um, who you could force to shut down the cryptocurrency. So um, that's the reason why why I'm doing Bitcoin only education. Yes. Um, just a quick sidebar on that. How did Andreas Antonopoulos end up being your teacher? Like, how did that happen? So I chose him. So it's like you could choose me as your teacher. You watch all my videos. And to be honest, I met him and I um, I translated the first two um, um, editions of the Internet of Money, his books, uh, to German. So I, I could also work with him. So these are also books you could read in your book club, The Internet of Money by Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, these are great books that um, make you understand why Bitcoin is important. Also for us in that tradition. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think I can get him to come and do an AMA as well? <laughs> uh, the problem is no, uh, you won't because he's not doing that anymore. He's only having his uh, Patreon. His Patreon um, yeah. So he, yeah, so he focuses on his own community. So if anyone wants to join his Patreon, um, he also does live calls once a month. So that's the way how you can still to choose him as your teacher. Yeah, I was kind of being tongue in cheek. He's too busy. He said the other day he can barely keep up with the Bitcoin development, I think, on a video that he did. But I think, I mean, I'm sure everybody on this call probably knows who Andreas Antonopoulos is. But if you don't, then go look him up. There are some that think he might be Satoshi. He's he's a, a very prominent Bitcoin educator. Um, so so you went down to the Global South and, and I'm really curious as to like how this happened then. So you started learning about Bitcoin and you then was it was it at that point then that you wrote learn bitcoin and then took that yeah. knowledge to the global south yeah i mean there were steps in between i first started with a german book so uh, my first book about bitcoin was in german and then i re i worked on it and expanded it and then i uh, published it in english as learn earn bitcoin and um i don't know exactly what the time uh, was uh, the the, chron the chronological uh, order? I don't know exactly anymore, but I can remember that um, a lot of people in Bitcoin said, "Yeah, Bitcoin is so important, e um, especially in countries with hyperinflation, because um, the monetary monetary supply cannot be inflated by anyone because there only ever will be twenty one million Bitcoin." And so people were talking about Zimbabwe and Venezuela. And I um, have a friend who has been living in Zimbabwe and worked there. And I thought, yeah, why not go to Zimbabwe and see what's going on on the ground? So they, that was basically the idea in 2020 um, to go to Zimbabwe and basically learn from the people on the ground what the problems really are in these countries with money. And I learned uh, many, many lessons there. And I can tell you, it's definitely definitely the case that Bitcoin is a solution for these circumstances. But um, with education, we are not there yet. And also with, with um, because most people believe it's a scam. 
And that's a, a real, a, a big, big problem in education. And um, that was the Sorry, reason why I Anita, went there. when you say that, do you mean in general, or are you talking specifically in the global south? That people believe Bitcoin is a scam? Mm. Oh, you've frozen. Now we've lost her. <laughs> Do you guys? Oh, there we go. Sorry, I, you're back. You froze oh, for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, Bitcoin is I a hope... scam in the global south. Is that is that just the view in your opinion in the global south or generally? No, I think generally people think Bitcoin is a scam. I mean, uh, when I just look at my friends um, and the people, you know, what you read in in mainstream media and things. It's still uh, only uh, criminals are using it. It's used for money laundering and we don't need it. Um, it's using too much electricity and energy. Um, basically, the European would love to shut it down or ban people from using it. So the understanding is not very far. And um, people in, in the global south in African countries have been scammed ruthlessly. So uh, everyone knows someone or has been scammed themselves by people who say, this is Bitcoin, um, give me 50 US dollars and tomorrow I give you back, or in two weeks I give you back, I invest for you in Bitcoin and in two weeks you get back double, like a hundred dollars. And people believe that, um, that's the sad thing because they don't know what Bitcoin is um, and they need money. So they try every little thing to, to, to get some. And so that's the sad thing. That's why most people, their first question is, but is it legit? Is it, it's a, is it a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. When you started writing Learn Bitcoin, what were the main things that you found were a challenge for people in terms of understanding Bitcoin? Like what was your thought process in terms of structuring that book? Um, so the structure is basically first asking the question, why is Bitcoin important? So what is the problem at the moment with the current financial system? Why do we need a money that is not inflatable? Um, and Bitcoin has so many facets that it's uh, difficult yeah, to, to understand in one reading. I think no one can understand that in one reading um, or in 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 let's say two weeks, yeah? Um, if you really need to understand Bitcoin, that's the other thing, you know? My book is written for people who want to know a little bit more and understand why Bitcoin is important and which problem it can problems it can solve. And then it's a handy guide, I would say, um, that helps you to do self-custody because I think that's the most important thing about if you use Bitcoin, that you don't use it on an exchange. Like you don't uh, have your Bitcoin in an account on Kraken or Coinbase or I don't know, any other centralized exchange because that's basically like uh you're having a bank account um the bitcoin are not yours because the money in your bank account is also not yours because the bank can cut you off at any time uh or you can be part of a bail-in uh or bail-out <laughs> bail-in in in cyprus uh, where they basically the government takes away everything over a hundred thousand dollars or pounds or whatever from you that's all possible that's also possible if you have bitcoin on an exchange account and you don't have the the so-called seed phrase 
which is 12 English words in a certain order. If you have that, people can't take away the money from you and you can exchange, send it and receive it freely. And um, so the book is on the one hand, an explanation why we need Bitcoin and what is what's so special about. And then it goes into the practical um, recommendations how to use Bitcoin and how to save it securely so that you also have it um, <laughs> whenever you need it and don't lose access to it. Yeah, it's terrifying, but <laughs> but it's a it's a useful, useful lesson. Um, can you talk a bit then about after you'd sort of you know written the book, you've had some experience, I guess, educating people on Bitcoin in the Western world, really. So you went to Zimbabwe to stay with your friend got a sense of what was on the ground. And how did you kick off this work with your company, Bitcoin for Fairness then? So how did that all start? And what did you, how did you tackle it to begin with, um, with some of these challenges mm -hmm. of, I guess, convincing people that it's not a scam and why it might help them? Yeah, so the first step was in 2020 when I went to Zimbabwe. And the first thing we organized was a talk uh, and a workshop in a co-working space there where like 60 people attended. And I gave basically a talk about what Bitcoin is and helped people to understand how it could help them in their specific situation. Then from there, I also went to Botswana um, because there was already a uh, the Satoshi Center. Um, Sorry, could I, could, I just, a, could I just ask you mm -hmm. something about that first talk? What kinds of people came to that? Was it predominantly women? Was it friends of friends? Like who was the crowd that you initially attracted for it? No, that crowd were young people and entrepreneurs, uh, people who were working at the co-working space and also okay. people from our background, yeah, like, like friends, uh, but mostly um, it also they uh, we back then it was uh, published also on their Facebook uh, website, uh, Facebook page. So um, a lot of people also came from 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 the organizer side, you know, from the, the space side. So they were young people mostly. Um, mm. The second time I did that in 2022, um, we had also a lot of women coming because I already had made a name a little bit in a certain community that I'm doing this Bitcoin education stuff. And so um, also the second time, like 70 people showed up. And the nice thing about that one was that even someone from Bulawayo came, which is four or five hours by bus, and he came and said, um, I'm a Bitcoiner, but I know no one in, in my hometown. So it's the first time that I see other Bitcoiners. And then I said to him, well, why don't you start a group? Um, ask the people here now if they are willing to give you their contact. And then you can start a local Zimbabwean uh, Bitcoin only group. And he did that. And that group is now 300 people uh, big. And um, so uh, going back to, to the step um, that was in 2020 and I that was planned that I go home after a month and then also the pandemic came. I think I had one of the last flights before Zimbabwe closed down. And then, yeah, we couldn't go anywhere. And in 2020, end of 2021, I decided I wanna go back to, to uh, African countries and uh, do more of that work. And then I had the idea to, to build basically 
a network around it. And I called it Bitcoin for Fairness. And it's a initiative, a nonprofit initiative, where I wanted to open up the space so that other people could volunteer, could also help, and uh, also uh, found their own Bitcoin for Fairness communities in their countries. So in that year, I went to Zambia, South Africa, Zimbabwe, um, and Ghana. And um, we were able to, together with the people on the ground, uh, start a Bitcoin community in, in Zambia. And they are running regular meetups now. So each month there is a meetup where people can come, ask questions, and they have their local peers basically helping them out, uh, explaining Bitcoin to them. So Zambia has, does it have its own kind of Bitcoin beach yet? <laughs> Not yet, but uh, I'm <laughs> I'm discussing that idea with uh, someone who is running a school in uh, Livingstone. So maybe one day uh, we will see that there, um, but I can't promise anything. <laughs> Amazing. You've obviously got quite good insight into all the different countries on the African continent. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between them in terms of Bitcoin adoption and how they're responding to it? Yeah, so... Um, South Africa is a very, let's say, Western, Northern country. Um, they are basically, I think, the furthest ahead with Bitcoin adoption. They have uh, two big um, exchanges uh, coming out of South Africa. And uh, I know some developers who are also living in South Africa. So South Africa is a very lively um, uh, country from the Bitcoin side. Also, there are now free Bitcoin communities in South Africa, the first one was Bitcoin Ikasi, which is very interesting. It's a circular Bitcoin uh, economy community in Mosul Bay in a township with 5,000 people. And it proves to become, in my belief, the example of how also peer, poor people also can use uh, Bitcoin for their own good. Then there is Bitcoin Ubuntu and Bitcoin Vitsen. So it's free uh, communities in South Africa. Then I believe Nigeria, I've never been to Nigeria, but from what I learned, it's one of the hotspots for Bitcoin usage, although or because of the fact that the government uh, uh, has banned it once and uh, people started to be interested in it because why does the government ban us from using Bitcoin? And um, it seems to be a very lively place in terms of Bitcoin adoption. And then I think it's Kenya and Tanzania are the countries with the highest adoption of cryptocurrencies and especially Bitcoin. And in many other countries, it's not very much, to be honest. Yeah. So we are really very much at the beginning, but there's a lot of potential as soon as um, and the first people have realized uh, it's 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 uh, good for them. Like in in I can give you an example in Zimbabwe. I know a trader who like a trader, a person who exchanges US dollar to Bitcoin for you. Um, he told me that in 2021 he one person uh, had a volume, he exchanged a volume of 300,000 US dollars to cryptocurrencies. So 
it's not much for a big country, but it's also not nothing. Yeah. So people know about it and more and more people are using it. Wow, that's amazing. You didn't mention that the Zimbabwe was that far ahead then. And I'm kind of surprised about that because I would have thought that the use case for them would be extremely obvious. Do you have any sense as to why that is? Yes, um, it's uh, basically dangerous to do it because the government doesn't want you to use it. I know of three people now um, that have one person has been arrested, two others have been questions about questioned about their involvement in Bitcoin because I mean the government is a dictatorship and they very much control what you are doing um, on social media uh, and but also like for instance. Um, if you uh, want to send money to another country, it's very difficult. And if you do, and if you do it more often, then the central bank and the government comes on to you and asks you what you are doing. Why are you sending so much money out of the country that's unpatriotic? And so um, it's dangerous also to use Bitcoin. So I say always to everyone, don't tell anyone that you're using it and use a pseudonym. Um, so... <clears throat> And in a, in a dictatorship, um, you're basically scared to do things uh, that could uh, do you harm. And I think another reason is also there is no exchange because of the san international sanctions. Um, so um, Zimbabwe is basically totally cut off from international financial uh, rails. So uh, you can't have a PayPal account in Zimbabwe. You can't use a credit card. So um, it's very, very difficult. And I think there's also not much Bitcoin liquidity. So you need to, if you want to have Bitcoin, you really need to find it. You, you need to find a trusted person that will exchange it for you. Um, and at that, that makes adoption, of course, complicated and uh, it's lagging behind, yes. Oh, that's interesting. When you first uh, educate somebody about Bitcoin and when you're traveling around and doing this, how, how do you uh, how do you manage that process? Do you start with the financial stuff or do you just try and get them on boarded and say, here's how you download a wallet. Let's go. Like, What's what's your approach? Excuse me, my approach when I try to educate people on the ground. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. when you're traveling around to these countries in Africa, I, I don't know whether mm -hmm. I'm just curious as to like what you found to be most effective. So is it just setting somebody up with a Bitcoin wallet and getting Bitcoin on, on their phones as soon as possible and then going through the yeah. self-custody or is it, you know, the history of money? Like what's what's the best approach no, that... in your experience? Mostly, mostly I don't have a lot of time. So maybe a workshop, maybe a talk. Yeah. And then I always try to explain specifically for their use case, for their country, what are the problems? How high is the inflation? How much value has their national currency lost? Um, or maybe if it's a human rights activist, um, that the money can't be censored um, and things like that. And uh, the most effective way that I have learned um, to to show someone that Bitcoin really works is to buy something with it. Um, and that's the, you know, people, even if they are like, oh, yeah, okay, I think it's a good thing, but can you really buy something with it? I mean, is it not, is it not just like, you know, it's, it's money on the internet. Can I buy something real? And when, when you show them, yes, you can, then it's, wow okay, it really works. Um, so I found that also to be very effective. 
And uh, yes, I mean, I try to, to, if I have enough time, I try to show them how to download a wallet, how to set it up. Um, even sometimes I do workshops with people about how to have secure, even more secure storage with a hardware wallet. Um, but uh, these are people who are like, let's say, more into it already. With beginners, yeah. it's mostly about uh, the safe usage uh, on a smartphone wallet of a smartphone wallet, how to write down the 12 words and take care of them, and also practicing uh, receiving money and, and sending money. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. That's helpful. Uh, it's helpful for those of us that are also going around trying to orange pill as many people as possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, could you talk a bit, I'm just conscious of time, so I'd like to open it up for questions in, uh, in a mm -hmm. short while, but could you just talk a little bit about Crack the Orange then and why you wanted to expand your business to include that and what that will look like? Yeah, it's because, so basically Crack the Orange is an online learning platform and membership platform for Bitcoin knowledge. So I built a online course with a lot of videos where I basically explain the why and how of Bitcoin and also show guides how to set up wallets, how to secure your coins, how to send transactions and things like that. And um, it's a membership platform this, that means I'm completely independent. I don't have sponsorships or any corporations with companies. And so Yes, I need to earn I like money that. through that course, <laughs> <laughs> of course. And also, um, finally, I have a place where I can, on the one hand, collect all my work and give it uh, away to, to my members and to the participants uh, of the courses. And also, I can grow that in time. So it's, it's not static, you know, I do live calls uh, like you do it uh, once a month where members uh, can ask questions and I can and, and I'm answering them. And um, it's also a membership program in that sense that you don't need to take a course. You can also like on a Patreon just support my work with a monthly donation or a monthly subscription, basically. And on the other side, uh, Crack the Orange is a scholarship program. So people who can't afford, let's say, 15 pounds a month or dollars a month or euros a month or something like that and can't afford to pay for the online course they can apply for a scholarship if they want to become bitcoin educators or they maybe are already educators and community builders and they want to know more about it then they can also apply for a scholarship and i'm then going to donors uh, and try to and and raise funds uh, for these participants to enable them to be a year in the program and to learn so it's basically yes for educators from the global south but also for anyone from everywhere who wants to learn more about bitcoin that's fantastic that's really great. Well, it's really exciting. And uh, and it's nice that people have that resource now where they can also kind of get some some FaceTime with you, which I think is, is really great because it's hard to scale that, I think, when you get quite well known as well. Um, well, we've got about 20 minutes left, so I'd actually quite like to just open it up to the room in case anyone wants to ask you any questions. And I'm going to jump in with any that I have. So I'll pause the recording now just so that people can ask stuff. Um, but just for the piece that will go out live, I just wanted to say thank you so much. It's been really great having you talk about, you know, your book, your platform, 
your work and everything and it's just a pleasure to meet you across zoom I guess face to face after doing all this stuff together I should also mention on that note that um, you launched BTC podcasting which is a podcasting service so the Access Mm -hmm. Tribe podcast is actually hosted on there Um, so anyone that wants to set up a Bitcoin podcast I probably should just do a quick plug and say that they should look at btcpodcasting.com and go there and apply to put their Bitcoin podcast on there Um, and I think with that um, I was going to suggest to people in the room I'll just hit pause (laughs) 